Letter twelve of Letters from England, eighteen forty six to eighteen forty nine, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to W. D. B. and A. B. London, February seventh, eighteen forty seven. My dear sons, on Friday we dined with two bachelors, Mr. Peabody and Mr. Coates, who are American bankers. Mr. Peabody is a friend of Mr. Corcoran and was formerly a partner of Riggs in Baltimore. Mr. Coates is of Boston. They mustered up all the Americans that could be found, and we dined with twenty-six of our countrymen. Monday morning. Last evening we were at home to see any Americans who might chance to come. I make tea in the drawing-room, on a little table with a white cloth, which would not be esteemed come il faut with us. There is none of the parade of eating in the largest evening party here. I see nothing but tea, and sometimes I find an informal refreshment table in the room where we put on our cloaks. I got a note yesterday from the O'Connor Don, a closing in order to admit me to the House of Commons on Monday. You will be curious to know who is the O'Connor Don. He is Dennis O'Connor, Esquire, but is of the oldest family in Ireland, and the representative of the last kings of Connaught. He is called altogether the O'Connor Don, and begins his note to me with that title. You remember Campbell's poem of O'Connor's Child? Sunday, 14th February. Yesterday morning was my breakfast at Sir Robert Inglis's. The hour was half-past nine, and as his house is two miles off, I had to be up wondrous early for me. The weather has been very cold for this climate for the last few days, though we should think it moderate. They know nothing of extreme cold here. But to return to our breakfast, where, notwithstanding the cold, the guests were punctually assembled, the Marquis of Northampton and his sisters, the Bishop of London with his black apron, Sir Stratford Canning, Mr. Rutherford, Lord Advocate for Scotland, the Solicitor General, and one or two others. The conversation was very agreeable, and I enjoyed my first specimen of an English breakfast exceedingly. Our invitations jostle each other now, now Parliament has begun, for everybody invites on Wednesday, Saturday, or Sunday, when there are no debates. We had three dinner invitations for next Wednesday, from Mr. Harcourt, Marquis of Anglesey, and Mrs. Mansfield. We go to the former. The Queen held a levy on Friday, for gentlemen only. Your father went, of course. Sunday, February 21st. I left off on Sunday, on which day I got a note from Lady Morgan, saying that she wished us to come and meet some agreeables at her house. There I met Sir William and Lady Molesworth, Sir Benjamin Hall, etc., and had a long talk with Eothen, who is a quiet, unobtrusive person in manner, though his book is quite an effervescence. On Wednesday we dined with Mr. Harcourt, and met there Lord Braham, who did the talking chiefly, Lord and Lady Mahon, Mr. Le Boucher, etc. It was a most agreeable party, and we were very glad to meet Lord Braham, who we had not seen before. Lord Braham is entertaining, and very much listened to. Indeed, the English habit seems to be to suffer a few people to do up a great part of the talking, such as Macaulay, Braham, and Sidney, Smith and Mackintosh in their day. On Saturday evening at ten o'clock we went to a little party at Lady Strathton's. After staying there three-quarters of an hour we went to Lady Palmerston's, where we were all the great London world, the Duchess of Sutherland among the number. She is most noble, at the same time lovely. We had an autograph note from Sir Robert Peel, inviting us to dine next Saturday, and were engaged. I hope they will ask us again, for I know few things better than to see him, as we should in dining there. I have the same interest in seeing the really distinguished men of England that I should ever have in the pictures and statues of Rome, and indeed much greater. I wish I was better prepared for my life here by a more extensive culture, 
Mere fine ladyism will not do, nor prosy blueism, but one needs for a thorough enjoyment of society, a healthy, practical, and extensive culture, and a use of the modern languages in our position would be convenient. I do not know how a gentleman can get on without it here, and I find so desirable that I devote a good deal of time to speaking French with Louisa's governess. Your father uses French a great deal with his colleagues, who many of them speak English with great difficulty, and some not at all. Lady Charlotte Lindsay came one day this week to engage us to dine with her on Wednesday, but yesterday she came to say that she wanted Lord Braham to meet us, and he could not come till Friday. Fortunately we had no dinner engagement on that day, and we are also to meet the Miss Berries, Horace Walpole's Miss Berries, who, with Lady Charlotte herself, are the last remnants of the old school here. End of Letter 12 Read by Sibella Denton All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter 13 of Letters from England, 1846 to 1849, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to IPD, February 21st. My dear uncle, I wrote J.D. a week or two before I heard of his death, but was unable to tell him anything of Lord North, as I had not met Lady Charlotte Lindsay. I have seen her twice this week at Baron Park's and at Lord Campbell's, and told her how much I had wished to do so before, and on what account. She says her father heard reading with great pleasure, and that one of her sisters could read the classics, Latin, and I think Greek, which he enjoyed to the last. She says that he never complained of losing his sight, but that her mother has told her that it worried him in his old age that he remained minister during our troubles at a period when he wished himself to resign. He sometimes talked of it in the solitude of sleepless nights, her mother has told her. On Tuesday morning we were invited by Dr. Buckland, the dean of Westminster, to go to his house, and from thence to the abbey, to witness the funeral of the Duke of Northumberland. The dean, who has control of everything in the abbey, issued tickets to several hundred persons to go and witness the funeral, but only Lord Northampton's family, the Bunsons, the Prussian minister, and ourselves went to his house, and into the dean's little gallery. After the ceremony there were a crowd of visitors at the dean's, and I met many old acquaintances, and made many new ones, among whom were Lady Chantry, a nice person. After the crowd cleared off, we sat down to a long table at lunch, always an important meal here, and afterward the dean took me on his arm and showed me everything within the abbey precincts. He took us first to the Percy Chapel to see the vault of the Percys. From thence the dean took us to the Jerusalem chamber where Henry the Fourth died, and then all over the Westminster School. We went first to the hall where the young men were eating dinner. We then went to the schoolroom, where every inch of the wall and benches is covered with names, some of them most illustrious, as Dryden's. There were two bunches of rods, which the dean assured me were not mere symbols of power, but were daily used, as indeed the broken twigs scattered upon the floor plainly showed. Our furals are thought rather barbarous, but a gentle touch from a slender twig, not at all so. These young men looked to me as old as our collegians. We then went to their study rooms, playrooms, and sleeping rooms. The whole forty sleep in one long and well-ventilated room, the walls of which were also covered with names. At the foot of each bed was a large chest covered with leather, as mouldering and time-worn as the abbey itself. Here are educated the sons of some of the noblest families, and the Archbishop of York has had six sons here, 
and all of them were in succession the captain of the school. On Wednesday evening we went first to our friends, the Bunsons, where we were invited to meet the Duchess of Sutherland with a few other persons. Bunsen is very popular here. He is learned and accomplished, and was so much praised in the biography of Dr. Arnold, the late historian of Rome, that he has great reputation in the world of letters. Although we have great pleasure in the society of Chevalier and Madame Bunsen, and in those whom we meet at their house. On this occasion we only stayed half an hour, which I passed in talking with the Bishop of Norwich and his wife, Mrs. Stanley, and went to Lady Morgan's without waiting till the Duchess of Sutherland came. There we found her little rooms full of agreeable people. The next day, Thursday, there was a grand opera for the benefit of the Irish, and all the diplomatic corps were obliged to take boxes. Lady Palmerston, who was one of the three patronesses, secured a very good box for us, directly opposite the Queen, and only three from the stage. We took with us Mrs. Millman and W. T. Davis, to whom it gave a grand opportunity of seeing the Queen and the assembled aristocracy, at least all who are now in London. God Save the Queen, sung with the whole audience standing, was a noble sight. The Queen also stood, and at the end gave three curtsies. On Friday, Captain and Mrs. Warmly, with Miss Warmly, dined with us, with Mr. and Mrs. Carlyle, Miss Murray, the maid of honor, Mr. and Mrs. Pell of New York, with William T. and Mr. Broadhead. William was very glad to see Carlyle, who showed himself off to perfection, uttering his paradoxes in broad scotch. Last evening we dined at Mr. Thomas Baring's, and a most agreeable dinner it was. The company consisted of twelve persons, Lord and Lady Ashburton, etc. I like Lady Ashburton extremely. She is full of intelligence, reads everything, talks most agreeably, and still loves America. She is by no means one of those who abjure their country. I have seen few persons in England whom I should esteem a more delightful friend or companion than Lady Ashburton, and I do not know why, but I had received a different impression of her. Lord Ashburton, by whom I sat at dinner, struck me as still one of the wisest men I have seen in England. Lady Ashburton, who was sitting by Mr. Bancroft, leant forward and said to her husband, We can bring bushels of corn this year to England. Who do you mean by we? said he. Why, we Americans, to be sure. Monday evening. Yesterday we dined at Count St. Alaire's, the French ambassador, who is a charming old man of the old French school, at a sort of amicable dinner given to Lord and Lady Palmerston. Lord John Russell was of the party, with the Russian ambassador and lady, Mr. and Madame Van de Weyre, the Prussian and Turkish ministers. The house of the French embassy is fine, but these formal grand dinners are not so charming as the small ones. The present state of feeling between Lord Palmerston and the French government gave it a kind of interest, however, and it certainly went off in a much better spirit than Lady Normanby's famous party, which Guizot would not attend. It seems very odd to me to be in the midst of these European affairs, which I have all my life looked upon from so great a distance. End of letter 13. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter 14 of Letters from England, 1846 to 1849, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to Mrs. W. W. Story, London, March 23, 1847. My dear Mrs. Story, 
I should have thanked you by the last steamer for your note and the charming volume which accompanied it, but my thoughts and feelings were so much occupied by the sad tidings I heard from my own family that I wrote to no one out of it. The poems, which would at all times have given me great pleasure, gave me still more here than they would if I were with you on the other side of the Atlantic. I am not cosmopolitan enough to love any nature so well as our American nature, and in addition to the charm of its poetry, every piece brought up to me the scenes amidst which it had been written. How dear these associations are, your husband will soon know when he too is separated from his native shores and from those he loves. I shall look forward with great pleasure to seeing him here, and only wish you were to accompany him, for your own sake, for his, and for ours. His various cultures will enable him to enjoy most fully all that Europe can yield him in every department. My own regret, ever since I have been here, has been that the seed has not fallen upon better ground, for though I thought myself not ignorant wholly, I certainly lose much that I might enjoy more keenly if I were better prepared for it. I envy the pleasure which Mr. Story will receive from music, painting, and sculpture in Europe, even if he were destitute of the creative inspiration which he will take with him. For ourselves, we have everything to make us happy here, and I should be quite so, if I could forget that I had a country and children with very dear friends three thousand miles away. There are certain sympathies of country which one cannot overcome. On the other hand, I certainly enjoy pleasures of the highest kind, and am every day floated like one in a dream into the midst of persons and scenes that make my life seem more like a drama than a reality. Nothing is more unreal than the actual presence of persons of whom one has heard much, and long wished to see. One day I find myself at dinner by the side of Sir Robert Peel, another by Lord John Russell, or at Lord Lansdowne's table with Mrs. Norris, or at a charming breakfast with Mr. Rogers, surrounded by pictures and marbles, or with tall feathers and a long train, making curtsies to a queen. End of letter 14. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter 15 of Letters from England, 1846 to 1849, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to W.D.B. and A.B., London, April 2nd, 1847. Here it is, the day before the dispatches leave, and I have not written a single line to you. On Friday we dined at Lady Charlotte Lindsay's, where were Lord Braham and Lady Mallet, Mr. Rogers, and the Bishop of Norwich and his wife. In the evening Miss Agnes Berry, who never goes out now, came on purpose to appoint an evening to go and see her sister, who is the one that Horace Walpole wished to marry, and to whom so many of his later letters are addressed. She is eighty-four, her sister a few years younger, and Lady Charlotte not much their junior. These remnants of the Belles Esprits of the last age are charming to me. They have a vast and long experience of the best social circles, with native wit, and constant practice in the conversation of society. On Wednesday we dined at Sir Robert Peel's, with whom I was more charmed than with anybody I have seen yet. I sat between him and the Speaker of the House of Commons. I was told that he was stiff and stately in his manners, but did not think him so, and am inclined to imagine that, free from the burden of the premiership, he unbends more. He talked constantly with me, and in speaking of a certain picture said, 
When you come to Drayton Manor, I shall show it to you. I should like to go there, but to see himself even more than his pictures. Lady Peel is still a very handsome woman. The next morning we breakfasted with Mr. Rogers. He lives, as you probably know, in a beautiful house, though small, whose rooms look upon Green Park, and filled with pictures and marbles. We stayed an hour or more after the other guests, listening to his stores of literary anecdote and pleasant talk. In the evening we went to the Miss Berries, where we found Lord Morpeth, who is much attached to them. Miss Berry put her hand on his head, which is getting a little gray, and said, "'Ah, George, I remember the day you were born. Your grandmother brought you and put you in my arms. Now, this grandmother of Lord Morpeth's was the celebrated Duchess of Devonshire, who electioneered for Fox, and he led her to tell me all about her. Eothen was also there, Lady Lewis and many of my friends.' Auntie wishes to know who Eothen is. She has probably read his book, Eothen, or Traces of Travel, which was very popular two or three years since. He is a young lawyer, Mr. Kinglake, the most modest, unassuming person in his manners, very shy and altogether very unlike the dashing, spirited young Englishman I figured to myself, whom nothing could daunt from the Arab even to the plague, which he defied. End of letter 15. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter 16 of Letters from England, 1846 to 1849, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to IPD. Dear Uncle and Aunt, on Thursday, the 25th, we were invited to Sir John Packington's, whose wife is the Bishop of Rochester's daughter, but were engaged to Mr. Senior, who had asked us to meet the Archbishop of Dublin, the celebrated Dr. Whatley. He had come over from Ireland to make a speech in the House of Lords upon the Irish Poor Law. He is full of learning and simplicity, and with most genial, hearty manners. Rogers was also there, and said more fine things than I have heard him say before at dinner, as he is now so deaf that he does not hear general conversation, and cannot tell where to send his shaft, which is always pointed. He retains all his sarcasm and epigrammatic point, but he shines now especially at breakfast, where he has his audience to himself. We went from Mr. Senior's to Mr. Millman's, but nearly all the guests there were departed or departing, though one or two returned with us to the drawing-room to stay the few minutes we did. Among the two lingerers we found Sir William and Lady Duff Gordon, the two Warburtons, Hogalaga and Crescent and Cross, and Eothen. Mrs. Millman I really love, and we see much of them. On Saturday was the dreaded drawing-room, on which occasion I was to be presented to the Queen. Mr. Bancroft and I left home at a quarter past one. On our arrival we passed through one or two corridors, lined by attendants with battle-axes and picturesque costumes, looking very much like the supernumeraries on the stage, and were ushered into the ante-room, a large and splendid room, where only the ministers and privy-counsellors, with their families, are allowed to go with the diplomatic corps. Here we found Lady Palmerston, who showed me a list she had got Sir Edward Cust, the master of ceremonies, to make out of the order of precedence of the diplomatic corps, and when the turn would come for us, who were to be newly presented. The room soon filled up, and it was like a pleasant party, only more amusing, as the costumes of both gentlemen and ladies were so splendid. 
I got a seat in the window with Madame Vanderwehr, and saw the Queen's train drive up. At the end of this room are two doors. At the left hand everybody enters the next apartment where the Queen and her suite stand, and after going round the circle come out at the right-hand door. After those who are privileged to go first into the ante-room leave it, the general circle pass in, and they also go in and out the same doors. But to go back, the left-hand door opens, and Sir Edward Cust leads in the Countess Dietrichstein, who is the eldest ambassadress, as the Countess St. Allaire is in Paris. As she enters, she drops her train, and the gentlemen ushers open it out like a peacock's tail. Then Madame Vanderwehr, who comes next, follows close upon the train of the former, then Baroness Brunau, then Madame Bunsen, then Madame Lisboa, then Lady Palmerston, who, as the wife of the Minister for Foreign Affairs, is to introduce the Princess Calamachi, Baroness de Bust, and myself. She stations herself by the side of the Queen, and names us as we pass. The Queen spoke to none of us, but gave me a very gracious smile, and when Mr. Bancroft came by, she said, I am very glad to have had the pleasure of seeing Mrs. Bancroft to-day. I was not at all frightened, and gathered up my train with as much self-possession as if I were alone. I found it very entertaining afterward to watch the reception of the others. The diplomatic corps remained through the whole, the ladies standing on the left of the Queen, and the gentlemen in the centre, but all others pass out immediately. On Sunday evening Mr. Bancroft set off for Paris to pass the Easter recess of Parliament. I got a very interesting letter yesterday from Mr. Bancroft. It seems that the Countess Sircourt, whose husband has reviewed his book in Prescott's, is a most charming person, and makes her house one of the most brilliant and attractive in Paris. Since he left, a note came from Mr. Hallam, the contents of which pleased me, as they will you. It announced that Mr. Bancroft was chosen an honorary member of the Society of Antiquaries, of which Lord Mahon is president, Hallam vice-president. Hallam says the society is very old, and that he is the first citizen of the United States upon whom it has been conferred, but that he will not long possess it exclusively, as his highly distinguished countryman, Mr. Prescott, has also been proposed. End of letter 16. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter 17 of Letters from England, 1846 to 1849, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to W. D. B. and A. B. Tuesday. My dear sons, on Monday morning came the dear Miss Berries to beg me to come that evening to join their circle. They have always the best people in London about them, young as well as old. The old and the middle-aged are more attended to, here, than with us, where the young are all in all. As Hayward said to me the other evening, it takes time to make people like cathedrals, and Mr. Rogers and Miss Berry could not have been what they are now, forty years ago. A long life of experience in the midst, constantly, of the highest and most cultivated circles, with several generations of distinguished men, gives what can be acquired in no other way. Mr. Rogers said to me one day, I have learnt more from men than from books, and when I used to be in the society of Fox and other great men of that period, they would sometimes say, I have always thought so-and-so. Then I have opened my ears and listened, for I said to myself, 
Now I shall get at the treasured results of the experience of these great men. This little saying of Mr. Rogers expresses precisely my own feelings in the society of the venerable and distinguished here. With us society is left more to the crudities of the young than in England. The young may be interesting and promise much, but they are still crude. The elements, however fine, are not yet completely assimilated and brought to that more perfect tone which comes later in life. Monday, April 12th. On Saturday I went with Sir William and Lady Molesworth to their box in the new Covent Garden Opera, which has been opened for the first time this week. There I saw Grisi and Alboni and Tamburini in the Semiramide. It was a new world of delight to me. Grisi, so statuesque and so graceful, delights the eye, the ear, and the soul. She is sculpture, poetry, and music at the same time. Mr. Bancroft has been received with great cordiality in Paris. He has been three times invited to the palace, and Guizot and Minier give him access to all that he wants in the archives, and he passes his evenings with all the eminent men and beautiful women of Paris. Guizot, Thiers, Lamartine, Cousin, Salvandi, Thierry he sees, and enjoys all. They take him to the salons, too, of the Faubourg Saint-Germain, among the old French aristocracy, and to innumerable receptions. Wednesday. Tomorrow I go to the drawing-room alone, and to complete the climax, the Queen has sent us an invitation to dine at the palace tomorrow, and I must go alone for the first time. If I live through it, I will tell you all about it. But is it not awkward in the extreme? Friday morning. At eight o'clock in the evening I drove to the palace. My dress was my current-colored or groselle velvet, with a wreath of white arum lilies woven into a kind of turban, with green leaf and bouquet to match, on the bertha of Brussels lace. I was received by a servant, who escorted me through a long, narrow corridor the length of Winthrop Place, and consigned me to another, who escorted me in his turn, through another, wider corridor, to the foot of a flight of stairs, which I ascended, and found another servant, who took my cloak and showed me into the grand corridor or picture-gallery, a noble apartment of interminable length, and surrounded by pictures of the best masters. General Bowles, the master of the household, came forward to meet me, and Lord Byron, who was one of the lords-in-waiting. I found Madame Lisboa already arrived, and soon came in Lord and Lady Palmerston, the Duke of Norfolk, the Marquise and Marchioness of Exeter, Lord and Lady Dalhousie, Lord Charles Wellesley, son of the Duke of Wellington, Lady Byron, and Mr. Hallam. We sat and talked as at any other place, when at last the Queen was announced. The gentlemen ranged themselves on one side, and we on the other, and the Queen and Prince passed through, she bowing, and we profoundly curtsying. As soon as she passed, the Marquise of Exeter came over and took Madame Lisboa, and Lord Dalhousie came and took me. The Queen and Prince sat in the middle of a long table, and I was just opposite the Prince, between Lord Exeter and Lord Dalhousie, who is the son of the former governor of Nova Scotia, was in the last ministry, and a most agreeable person. I talked to my neighbours as at any other dinner, but the Queen spoke to no one but Prince Albert, with a word or two to the Duke of Norfolk, who was on her right, and is the first peer of the realm. The dinner was rather quickly dispatched, and when the Queen rose we followed her back into the corridor. She walked to the fire and stood some minutes, and then advanced to me and inquired about Mr. Bancroft, his visit to Paris, if he had been there before, etc. 
I expressed, of course, the regret he would feel at losing the honor of dining with Her Majesty, etc. She then had a talk with Lady Palmerston, who stood by my side, then with all the other ladies in succession, until at last Prince Albert came out, soon followed by the other gentlemen. The Prince then spoke to all the ladies, as she had done, while she went in succession to all the gentlemen guests. This took some time, and we were obliged to stand all the while. At last the Queen, accompanied by her lady-in-waiting, Lady Mount Edcombe, went to a sofa at the other end of the corridor, in front of which was a round table surrounded by armchairs. When the Queen was seated, Lady Mount Edcombe came to us, and requested us to take our seats round the table. This was a little prim, for I did not know exactly how much I might talk to others in the immediate presence of the Queen, and everybody seemed a little constrained. She spoke to us all, and very soon such of the gentlemen as were allowed by their rank joined us at the round table. Lord Dalhousie came again to my side, and I had as pleasant a conversation with him, rather sotto voce, however, as I could have had at a private house. At half-past ten the Queen rose and shook hands with each lady. We curtsied profoundly, and she and the Prince departed. We then bade each other good-night, and found our carriages as soon as we chose. End of letter 17. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Letter 18 of Letters from England, 1846 to 1849, by Elizabeth Davis Bancroft. Read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Letter to W.D.B. and A.B. London, May sixteenth, 1847. My dear sons, my letters by this steamer will have very little interest for you, as from being in complete retirement I have no new things to relate to you. We have taken advantage of our leisure to drive a little into the country, and on Tuesday I had a pleasure of the highest order in driving down to Esher, and passing a quiet day with Lady Byron, the widow of the poet. She is an intimate friend of Miss Murray, who has long wished us to see her, and desired her to name the day for our visit. Esher is a little village about sixteen miles from London, and Lady Byron has selected it as her residence, though her estates are in Leicestershire, because it is near Lord and Lady Lovelace, her only child, the A.D.A. of poetry. We went in our own carriage, taking Miss Murray with us, and as the country is now radiant with blossoms and glowing green, the drive itself was very agreeable. We arrived at two o'clock, and found only Lady Byron, with the second boy of Lady Lovelace and his tutor. Lady Byron is now about fifty-five, and with the remains of an attractive, if not brilliant, beauty. She has extremely delicate features, and very pale and finely delicate skin. A tone of voice and manner of the most trembling refinement, with a culture and strong intellect, almost masculine, but which betrays itself under such sweet and gentle and unobtrusive forms, that one is only led to perceive it by slow degrees. She is the most modest and unostentatious person one can well conceive. She lives simply, and the chief of her large income, you know she was the rich Miss Milbank, she devotes to others. After lunch she wished me to see a little of the country round Esher, and ordered her ponies and small carriage for herself and me, while Mr. Bancroft and Miss Murray walked. We went first to the royal seat, Claremont, where the Princess Charlotte lived so happily with Leopold, and where she died. 
Its park adjoins Lady Byron's, and the Queen allows her a private key that she may enjoy its exquisite grounds. Here we left the pedestrians, while Lady Byron took me a more extensive drive, as she wished to show me some of the heaths in the neighborhood, which are covered with firs, now one mass of yellow bloom. Every object is seen in full relief against the sky, and a figure on horseback is peculiarly striking. I am always reminded of the beginning of one of James's novels, which is usually, you know, after this manner, it was toward the close of a dull autumn day that two horsemen were seen, etc., etc. Lady Byron took me to the estate of a neighboring gentleman, to show me a fine old tower covered with ivy, where Wolsey took refuge from his persecutors, with his faithful follower, Cromwell. Upon our return we found the last of the old harpers, blind and with a genuine old Irish harp, and after hearing his national melodies for half an hour, taking a cup of coffee, and enjoying a little more of Lady Byron's conversation, we departed, having had a day heaped up with the richest and best enjoyments. I could not help thinking, as I was walking up and down the beautiful paths of Claremont Park, with the fresh spring air blowing about me, the primroses, daisies, and wild bluebells under my feet, and Lady Byron at my side, that it was more like a page out of a poem than a reality. On Sunday night any Americans who are here come to see us. Mr. Harding brought with him a gentleman, whom he introduced as Mr. Allison. Mr. Bancroft asked him if he were related to Archdeacon Allison, who wrote the essay on taste. "'I am his son,' said he. "'Ah, then, you are the brother of the historian,' said Mr. Bancroft. "'I am the historian,' was the reply. "'An evening visitor is a thing unheard of, and therefore my life is very lonely. Now I do not go into society.' I see no one except Sunday evenings, and occasionally a friend before dinner. End of letter 18. Read by Sibella Denton. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, please visit LibriVox.org. Hello, and welcome to Queen V. The Life of Queen Victoria. My name is Donnie Hazel, and I am your host. If you wish to support this podcast, there will be a link provided for you in the show details, and it will be very much appreciated as it goes to help support the cost of maintaining the podcast and our website. With that said, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Queen V, The Life of Queen Victoria. Thank you for listening to this episode of Queen Bee, The Life of Queen Victoria. Remember, if you would like to support this podcast, you can look in the show description notes to find a link. Thank you, and have a great day.